it's tough. I mean, when I every time I look at the Rams, I could find a reason to be optimistic, and then I could turn around the next day, look at the same roster, and be pessimistic because it's it's the most volatile going into a season. It's the like the spectrum of best case, worst case is the widest I can ever remember. Mm-hmm. Maybe since the the end of the greatest show on turf years. Do you think um, a okay? So a do you think that there is a very real Super Bowl hangover, and B, do you think that the NFL can and should do something to uh, respond to a Super Bowl hangover? I don't. I don't think it's as much a Super Bowl hangover as it's just there's so much damn parity in the game. It's so hard to get that far twice in a row. Like you can you can do it twice in three or four years, but to do it back to back years is almost impossible because the NFL is just there's so much parity. It's just so fucking hard to do. I, so I don't I don't think it's as much a hangover as much as, you know, the Rams still went nine and seven last year, and you had the the, the game in Seattle where we you know Zerline misses a kick. If that had gone in, they could have won. Um, the first, the game against Tampa Bay. I don't know if you saw that. That was a that was a it was a shitty game of football, but they they gave up three touchdowns in the first four possessions to the Buccaneers. If they had played a half decent game of defensive football. They probably should have won that one. You had the Pittsburgh game that was a four-point game and then a two-point game in the fourth quarter. If they had gotten some more offensive production, they could have won that. So they they weren't far from, you know, making it back to the playoffs. So, you know, if that's a Super Bowl hangover, I mean, that, that's not a bad hangover, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's one of those things where I think because you've got this very – specific outcome to determine who the best teams are of getting a you know conference championships that it's it's easy to expect the team that did that to be very good again but the line between very good and let's say good or or even just barely above average in the NFL isn't much man it's uh-huh. there's just so much parity in the sport and that's part of what makes this league more fun than a lot of the others and uh-huh. be, you know you don't get like an NBA finals hangover usually because that you know baseball and basketball specifically are so driven by stars that as long as you've got your star it's almost impossible not as long as you got lebron or Kawhi or you know when the when the warriors lose steph curry and clay thompson and kevin durant they become what like the worst team in the nba it's it's one of those things where if you've got the star you're assured of going back that's definitely not the case with the nfl if uh and i would i would uh agree and but i would add uh, just an, um, one extra thing to that, which is that there's so much parity in the AFC. I think, yeah, yeah. Or excuse me, in the NFC. NFC. The NFC. I know what you meant. Yep. Uh, AFC, Patriots, Manning. I mean, who's like, gonna who's gonna be like the fifth and sixth seed in the AFC? It's gonna. I mean, fucking Buffalo made it last year, so it's one of those things where. AFC AFC is almost more fun because you don't have to be great to make it in. You could be you could be pretty mediocre probably and still make it into the mix. And I would say that at least in the last decade, if not the last twenty years, I don't know all time, but just from all the research that I've done recently, uh, almost always not almost always the majority of Super Bowls seem to be won by the worst regular right. team. I still think I, I, it's it's one of these things, and I, we we're of the same mind on running backs, but. The Tennessee Titans 2019 season was one of the weirdest seasons ever, right? Yeah. To to organize your entire team around a running game and then switch to Ryan Tannehill and then to make it to the AFC Championship is one of the weirdest runs. I, I could totally see Tennessee falling completely apart, but it's just it was just so weird. 
And there's no way that happens in the NFC. That's only possible in the AFC. But it was fun. Yeah. I wanted to, I want uh I wanted to see, you know, a team win a, a Super Bowl with a guy rushing for 200 yards every week. And rushing the ball like 30 times. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. that would have been really great, but I think he's still I think Derrick Henry did prove a point or at least the Titans did. I think that that point will be people will because of what I think will happen this year and next year, people will say like yeah, you shouldn't pay a running back. See, you shouldn't build your thing around a running back. See, because we've seen so many running backs get, you know, injured or whatever. DeMarco Murray, like after they have their yeah. big season, they just go. And uh, we see it over and over again. But at the end of the day, did not a power running game beat a few of. The it Ravens? worked. The Baltimore Ravens were yeah. the best team in the NFL and they won. They beat the Ravens 20 to 12. In it Baltimore. worked. Yeah. No, it was fun. It was weird fun, but and it was the kind of weird fun you don't get in a lot of the modern NFL, right? It was, yeah. uh, it was very unique, and I think that I appreciated it, but I don't see who who would you know. you know they made their they made their they made both they they got to extensions with both players, right. Tannehill and Henry. Okay. Who do you think was your real priority there? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, like, I mean, I get it. It worked for them, but are you, are we seriously supposed to invest in the idea that Ryan Tannehill is a guy that you want to shepherd things long-term? Is there I, anybody I that you can think of that if Ryan Tannehill kept this up for five more years, is there anyone in the NFL you can think of that had a career like that? That like at 31 uh, as a quarterback at 31 became great. Nobody's coming to mind. No, nobody that like that played that long beforehand. Yeah, not very, like Kurt Warner or like know. Tony Romo or something. Yeah, right? yeah That yeah. sat at the back and just didn't play. Ryan Tannehill played for years and he wasn't good. No, that's I don't. He wasn't maybe Alex worst. Smith. Alex Smith was made, but Alex Smith wasn't yeah. great at the end. But he was one of those guys where with the Niners, right? He struggled for a long time uh -huh. and then found some success at the end of his career. Kind of. Yeah, I. I was yeah. I don't think that the Titans. I I don't know. I mean, like, do you even feel like with the upcoming season? I mean, do you think that we're all kind of just like lying to ourselves in terms of like thinking there's going to be a normal season coming? Oh up? sure. If if anybody thinks that, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's like because we're just saying like I think that the Seahawks are going to do this and the Rams are going to do this and the Chiefs are going to do this, but it's like, what if? Patrick Mahomes spends two months on IR for yeah. coronavirus. I, sure. I, anything is going to happen. I, we were talking about it the other day on our side is that I, th I think more than anything, the NFL, it's not even in their hands. It's kind of in baseball's hands. Mm. And if baseball fucks this up, they're going to fuck it up for the NFL. Um, yeah. Because they're, they're kind of the guinea pig of how to do this not in a bubble. The hockey and basketball is going to be fine because they've essentially created prisons for their guys, right? I mean, that's that's really what it is. And it's going to work. That's why they're not getting any you know positive cases. But baseball and uh, eventually football is going to try to do this where it's like a work release thing. Where you come in, you get to do this, and then I guess we're going to let you go home uh, in these communities where you still might have tons of cases spreading and, and who knows what happens you know two months from now that the the weird thing is we've got and i know la and obviously you know seattle and 
Texas, where I live, have had these different kind of waves of it. But we got into this new wave that happened because we opened everything and just culturally, people weren't taking it seriously a month, a month and a half ago. And now over the last two weeks, because the governor put in the mask mandate and you had a new wave culturally of people saying, okay, we got to take this shit serious again, let's do it. I wouldn't be surprised if in like two weeks or three weeks, you start getting into that, that same mode that we were in a month ago of, okay, we beat it. Let's start opening stuff. I don't know if you saw, I don't know how politically active you are, but Laura Ingram was posting last night, the Fox News host, that Texas has done a quote unquote great job, <laughs> which is, I. it's one of those things where it's like, if that's a great job, seriously, what is a, does, does everybody have to die for it to be a bad job? What constitutes a bad job if that's a good job? I can, I can see that kind of framing coming over the next two weeks as the number of cases start dropping. And if people get comfortable with that again, and we open shit up and people, you know, if they get rid of the mask mandate and whatever, I wouldn't be surprised if right around when football's supposed to actually start playing football, you've got cases starting to jump again in Texas and Florida and Georgia and Arizona. And, you know, what is that going to mean for the teams that play? Are, are, are teams going to really be looking forward to going to Houston if you've got another outbreak of this and you're a healthy team going there, I, I don't know, man. We'll have to see. But I, I could totally see a situation where, as baseball plays the lead in for this, that they're going to have these cases to try to deal with, whether it's the Marlins or now the Phillies or Juan Soto. And, and the, the, the information it's giving to the NFL just doesn't look good. And I don't know there's any way to feel comfortable about playing a 16-game season on the schedule that we're supposed to be operating off of. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm encouraged. I think that uh, if anything, I'm actually encouraged by MLB. I, you know, I'm not not saying I'm following it super closely, but I think mm-hmm. just the fact that they continuously are putting out 95% of their games, uh, yeah. given what they're trying to do. I mean, the thing is, I, I see a lot of uh, already like it just feels like people are preloaded to criticize the NFL or any sports sure. league. You know, they're just pre- sure you know disposed to do that and to me it's like how are you gonna i mean like it's so easy i think for some people to say like oh this or that how do how'd they screw this up and and they could have done this or that it's like i don't know man i've never personally run uh the nfl but <laughs> trying to do so during uh, an unprecedented pandemic of our lifetimes uh, might 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 cause some and there might be complications you know and I, yeah, and, and I do appreciate and I do. I, I, I'm certainly like you said, I'm just it's good that the NFL has a, a beta test to watch far, uh, far from, yep. you know, so yep. that's, that's something they do get to benefit from it. I think I think it's also the distinction of talking about the difference between being safe and safer. Right. Mm-hmm. Where you, you can't do this in this environment and make it safe. Mm-hmm. But. You can make it safer. You can make it as safe as possible, right? Look at look at the Vikings. The guy who's in charge of making it as safe as possible still got coronavirus. So <laughs> you, you can't you can't make it safe, yeah. but you can make it as safe as possible. Now, I think the question is, what will people accept as a threshold of of even if it's as safe as possible when that's not safe enough, right? Four months ago, you had Rudy Gobert test positive. And immediately we shut down the NBA, shut down, we shut down everything because one guy tested positive. Now we're playing sports as tests are ongoing and revealing positive. So we, we've obviously shifted our attitudes in terms of what we'll accept. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that continues to shift. 
But it's also one of these things where you're, you're getting positive cases and not having stories of how that's impacting these guys' lives and, and maybe long-term. And maybe we've just been fortunate that nobody has gotten terribly sick from this. But I do wonder if that's going to be a threshold when you start talking about uh, players and it's impacting their, their, their livelihoods. We're talking about their jobs, um, especially, and this is going to be one of those things where it comes from the fans, especially if it's a player that, you know, is, is significant enough to change the outcome of the team. Like you said, like Patrick Mahomes, if Patrick Mahomes or, or anybody in the NFL top 100, let's say, tests positive for this, I think it's going to be hard to try to get past that and just say, oh, that's part of the game now. I mean, we'll find out. Uh, you know, there were a lot of going into the NFL draft this year. I thought this is going to be difficult, and I'm sure there will be mistakes. And then it just kind of they pulled it off. There was nothing to it. Yeah, yeah. It's just like another year. Uh, so we'll see what ha- the season is going to be. A lot more complicated by uh, in- infinite amount uh, yeah. compared to a draft. But um, in the meantime, training camp is underway, uh, sort of, you know, another factor that we don't know how this variable will affect the NFL season in each team is the fact that, you know, there aren't going to be any padded practices until beginning August 17th, about three weeks before the NFL regular season starts. There will be no preseason games. There will be an 80-man roster to start things off before cutting down to, I believe, a 55-man roster this year. Uh, and uh, the L.A. Rams, you know, they're one of the teams uh, in the NFL. So they are going through that right now with bringing in their players. And, uh, Joe, how do you think that uh, the Rams are set up to respond to complications from Stan Kroenke down to Les Snead down to Sean McVay and then to the, the offensive starters uh on uh, and defensive starters uh like from all the way on down plus in the middle of trying to get into a new stadium how well and hard knocks <laughs> how well do you think this team is set up to respond to distractions uh less practices no preseason uh is this a veteran team even though they're they're about a third rookies like what sure. do you think about the rams as far as the uh year 2020 goes yeah i think they're almost in as good a position to respond to it as anybody else i think if if you're looking for teams that would struggle with the chaos that it invites maybe a third of the league i would point to as saying i could see these teams having trouble in these circumstances uh i don't think the rams are one of those teams whether you talk about you know the health protocols that they've got they've got one of the best training staffs in the nfl led by reggie scott um, we, I don't know if you saw the piece with Steve Weish at NFL.com uh, where he was able to delineate a lot of the protocols that they're putting in. And again, difference between safe and safer. It's maybe not safe. It doesn't mean nobody's going to get it, but it's as you know rigorous and as safe as you can possibly imagine, given what they're trying to accomplish in this quote unquote training camp. So, you know, in terms of the logistics from a health side, I, I feel extremely comfortable that 
the the Rams are in as good a position as anybody else in terms of the quality of the coaching and the front office. Totally comfortable with that. I know Sean McVay's young and still relatively inexperienced, but you know, the, I think what he's proven is, uh, despite the lack of experience, he's he's capable of handling these challenges as well as anybody. And maybe, and this is maybe what's different between, and we'll have to see. I mean, we'll have to see when we get into the season how guys like Andy Reid and Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick that have been around a while. Part of what has made them so good at what they do is that they change what they've done. And there's a former Rams head coach that didn't respond that way, that his way was the way. And that was the way Jeff Fisher liked to operate. That didn't end up acting very well for the team because you need to be able to respond. You need to be malleable and, you know, uh, an, enough of a you know diverse athlete to be able to respond to different conditions. And I think Sean McVay has shown as a head coach, he's capable of doing that as well. When you talk about the team and the idea of veteran leadership, it's certainly not an old team. But you've got guys on there like, you know, Andrew Whitworth and Aaron Donald and uh, other guys throughout the roster that have some veteran experience. And even some of the younger, you know, more locked in starters, guys like Jared Goff and Jalen Ramsey and, uh, you know, maybe a Leonard Floyd that even though he's coming over from another team, he's got some experiences that, that can help lead the younger guys. I, I don't worry about that kind of stuff and the effect of the coronavirus I th and, the, and the the logistics that it has changed. I think more than anything, the, the things that concern me are football things, that even if it was a regular training camp, I don't know that any of those concerns have changed based on the way they're doing things, if that makes sense. But those concerns are maybe more valid for the Rams from a football sense than some of the logistical concerns that the pandemic has caused for these other teams. If we, if we talk about like a third of the league that's being affected more negatively by the logistical change than others, I think that impact may be less than the impact of these concerns the Rams are facing if they don't answer those questions in a, in a strong enough manner. Uh, other questions uh, regarding the Rams, and let's just assume some sort of normalcy. These are topics that I think I've addressed the most over the offseason, you know, at Turf Show Times. Uh, and I think I would certainly like to know what your thoughts are on, on some of these uh, potential big question marks for the Rams headed into this season. Probably nothing bigger than the offensive line in terms yeah. of what people think about as far as the success here and sure. through there. The Rams didn't yeah, make I mean, any changes, so yeah. uh, that's a, a point of contention for a lot of fans. Would you say for you that it worked out to their benefit because of coronavirus, uh, and, and how optimistic are you? Yeah, I mean, that's a big TBD, right, is to, is to see how it works out. I think the, the one thing that we can, I won't say assume, but calibrate expectations to is that this offensive line isn't going to be as good as the one two years ago when the Rams went to the Super Bowl. I think for the most part, we knew that last year, but there were so many new names. It was hard to really lock in expectations. If, if nothing else, we can assume this won't be a top, you know, eight, top 10 offensive line. But there's a there's a couple of things that even if I'm not optimistic that I'm comfortable with. I, I, I wrote a piece of Tertial Times back in March, I want to say, before the draft, well enough before the draft of reasons that Rams fans shouldn't be surprised if the Rams didn't take an offensive lineman. Even though we were talking about this being a real issue and, and, a, and a, uh, uh, a depth issue uh, for the offense compared to, you know, running back and wide receiver where they've got multiple guys that they can lean into, the offensive line was something that they couldn't really rely on almost any point last year. And so I think you got a couple things. Number one, 
one of the things people like to point to is that I think it was pro football focus ranked him second to last in the NFL. But even with the second to last offensive line in the NFL, the Rams still went nine and seven and had a winning record. The offense was still very productive for most of the season. And they were able to do that with a hamstrung Todd Gurley as the only, you know, running back that was given the opportunity quantity wise to really succeed. And so I think if, if you're if you're looking at like a worst case scenario, the worst case scenario might have been the offensive line playing as badly as they did with the injuries. And yet you still had that worst case scenario and still went nine and seven and had a pretty produ- productive offense. I think that's something that maybe points to things in a positive way for 2020. The other would be, and this is one of those things that maybe is more internal that we don't get to know until we get to week one. And I wouldn't take any you know, public comments from Sean McVay or anyone with much uh, sincerity until we get to the football is the Rams are probably better suited for week one, 2020 with the same guys than they were in week one, 2019, right? Where you had Joseph Noteboom starting at left guard and Brian Allen starting at center. And they maybe didn't know what they were working with and didn't know how to make the most of them week to week. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that either of those guys is going to be starting at those positions. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Austin Corbett and Austin Blythe at left guard and center. But at, at least the Rams have a better sense of who they're working with because they've gotten some football out of those guys. Remember, Joseph Nobin, Brian Allen didn't play at all almost in 2018 when they got drafted. So the first time they really got to commit to football was 2019 for the little, the six games or five plus that Joseph Nobin played and the nine plus that Brian Allen got. At the same time, with the injuries that, you know, Note Boom goes down in week six, Brian Allen, Rob Havenstein in week 10, you got to cycle some guys through that we didn't expect to see, guys like Bobby Evans and David Edwards. And so even if they're not starting, even if you've got uh, Whitworth, Corbett, Blythe, maybe, I don't know, whoever whoever you plug in at right guard, if, if, you've, if you've got guys on the bench, you may have guys that are better suited to come in for support than Jamil Demby was for week one, week one through week five. And even week six, where he got plugged in for Noteboom. So that already elevates this line in a way, even with the same guys, it elevates them above what they had at least to start 2019 because they're in a better position with the same guys. I think the thing for Rams fans to do is not to assume this is going to be a good offense. I think it's also worth understanding it doesn't necessarily need to be. You don't don't have to have a top 10 offensive line to win games. They proved that last year. But – they probably need to be better than 31st. So if you're aiming for a 22nd, 24th offensive line, can this line be that that much better? I think so, and I, I don't think it's going to take much to get there. Uh, I, I I would agree. I, mean, I just think you know there's there's few places to go but up. And yeah, that's true too. Yeah, yeah. And I think that um, there's a lot of things that I think are overrated. One of them is offensive line continuity. Another thing, sure. Is uh, because hey, they didn't want an- uh, continuity when they signed Whitworth and Sullivan. They didn't want continuity; they wanted better players. Uh, but at the same time, more time is important, and I think centers are underrated. So, yeah. what kind of play they get out of their center, whether that's Allen, Corbett, Blythe, whatever it is, uh, that'll be important. Uh, moving on, uh, Tyler Higby. You know, this was a guy that didn't produce a lot of offense in his first three seasons. Signed an extension. And then in the final five games uh, was the leading NFL receiver. Um, and obviously Sean McVay started funneling the passes and Jared Goff started funneling a lot of passes more towards Higby and the tight end uh, as their personnel shifted around at wide receiver and yeah. running back. So 
there's been a little bit of I've I've felt from TST readers here, commenters, uh, back and forth on Tyler Higby. If Tyler Higby is the starting tight end for, I mean, is this a guy that you feel comfortable could be the starting tight end for three or four more years? How do you feel about that? Sure, but I think the expectations are out of whack if you're expecting those last five games to be uh-huh. something normal. Um, I, I, th- I think the, the big thing is, why, why did McVeigh twist this for those last five or six games where we went, you know, so much heavily, so much more heavily into the 12 personnel where we had Johnny Munt in there blocking more often? Obviously, this was after the injuries to Havenstein and Allen. So was it simply because he wasn't trusting the offensive line? You saw a huge decrease in targets to Cooper Cup. Was that because Higby was more prevalent over the middle and Cooper Cup wasn't as productive working to the outside the way that, you know, in Sammy Watkins and Brandon Cooks, when you had that uh, safety valve over the top, was Cooper Cup just not finding space or, or was Jared Goff not comfortable looking that way? And then when you talk about the fact that Gerald Everett was hurt, right? You had, you had a very unique set of conditions for the for that span of games that ultimately Tyler Higby was fantastically productive in. Now that those conditions aren't the same, you get Gerald Everett back. You may have more confidence in this offensive line the way they did the first 10 weeks, and I get it. Maybe the maybe the offensive line didn't play well enough for McVay to feel that comfortable going into this year the way he did last year. But, but you know, with Cooper Cup obviously full health and wanting to get him back in the mix, I don't know that the conditions are there for Higby to be anywhere near as productive. And remember the first 10 games of the season, Tyler Higby was less productive than Gerald Everett was by a pretty significant amount. So I, I don't necessarily have a problem with Tyler Higby being a starting tight end for the next couple of years, but I think we just need to understand that it's not. He's, there's no way to expect him to be anywhere near as productive as he was in December, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, let me move to the defense for a couple of questions, starting with, uh, I'm curious your thoughts here. You know, the Aaron Donald is arguably, I think, the best player in the NFL. And that's great. That's a great place to start for a defense when you've got, uh, yeah, he, I mean, he could growl at anybody on the other <laughs> side and scare the hell out of him. Uh, yeah. Uh, when you when you say Aaron Donald, I, you wake my dog up and he knows something's wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. So you've got Aaron Donald. Uh, and then, you know, when they went to the Super Bowl, Aaron Donald, uh, Marcus Peters, Corey Littleton, John Johnson, Dante Fowler, Damakung Su, who I never say his name quite right. Uh, did I say Aqib Tlaib? Uh, you know, and then you know, it's a good, like, you could say, like, Aaron Donald's got some friends with him that could, like, go to the Pro Bowl and, and be really good and, and all this kind of stuff. This year, uh, and Dante Fowler, did I say him? But this year, uh, you've got Donald. You've got Ramsey. Two, two of maybe the top ten defensive players on their best days right there. Do you think that the Rams have their number three amigo, whether that's John Johnson or, I don't know, Sean Robinson, like – how do you feel about the talent of the starters as compared to two years ago? Because there's so much focus as in 99, there's so much more focus on the offense. And yet sure. like in 99, that team was awesome on defense. Very uh, good on defense. What yeah. would you say you feel about like Donald's and, and Ramsey's teammates? Do they have enough of them on that side? Well, I think what it, the, the key thing you'd say is it's in a transition, right? Where, 
Michael Brockers was almost gone off of this team for the first time since 2012. And so, you know, they bring in Ashawn Robinson to help add some beef, but they already had Sebastian Joseph Day and drafted Greg Gaines last year. So I think you've got a lot of weight up front. That's not going to be an issue of having bigger bodies. Um, but it, it is it, we know Michael Brockers just isn't in the pass rushing game going to be very threatening. So you've got Aaron Donald, Ashawn Robinson isn't either. We know Leonard Floyd isn't, the new addition to the linebacking core. So when you talk about the pass rush, who else is going to give you something there? It's not going to be Samson Abelkam. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a valuable guy off the weak side, but he's not a you know consistently threatening pass rusher. Yeah. Uh, fans love Obanaya Okoronkwo, but he hasn't broken through, and the coaches haven't shown a ton of faith in him. So, you know, it's one of those things where you can't assume that he's going to be able to make a jump and get on the field enough to be there. Um, you know, Terrell Lewis, uh, really good prospect at Alabama, but he had a lot of injuries. And, you know, in terms of his rookie year, is he going to be able to contribute enough? I don't know. So if you just look in the front seven and, you know, let's just skip inside linebacker because who the hell knows what we're going to be. It's one of those things where you're transitioning out of a front seven where we used to have all these first round defensive linemen. Remember Robert Quinn and Chris Long and Nick Fairley and all these guys, even the backup defensive ends with uh, Eugene Sims and William Hayes were fantastic for backups. Uh, and then you were always trying to add talent to that secondary, which we started with the RG3 trade. Um, th they've gone through that initial transition with Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib that clearly in 2018 worked fantastically, but they weren't going to be willing to commit to them long term. The same way they haven't committed to any defensive backs long term uh, under Kevin Demoff and Tony Pastor since they've been doing the contract negotiations. So I think the question is, now that you've got Jalen Ramsey, Troy Hill, Taylor Rapp, John Johnson, and even Terrell Burgess, who they drafted in the third round, you got a fantastic secondary, but how, how long is it going to be in place? Jalen Ramsey's in a contract year, but I'm, I'm going to work off the assumption that they re-sign him because if you don't, that becomes one of the worst trades in uh, NFL history. Um, uh, but if they do... I'm not sure they're going to re-sign John Johnson, and that may be completely independent of how he plays. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he puts in a really good season and yet still leaves in free agency. Troy Hill has put in three good years, but based on 2016 and the way fans have felt about him, would it surprise me if he took a step back? No. And if he does, would would people be receptive to letting him hit the market? Sure. And so I think, you, just, you know, Taylor Rapp only played one year so far. We got to see if he continues to develop and it takes another step in his career. But I think you got all these questions that there's no way to answer them until we get to the football. I, I think the, the problem is the sheer quantity, right? It's one of these things in the NFL where if you've got one or two questions, you, you can maybe get by answering two of them positively. When you've got six or seven questions, when you ask, where's the pass rush going to come from if it's not Aaron Donald? Who's going to be on the inside linebacking core that, to get snaps and shut down the run? How does the secondary respond when things are getting messy up front and you've got to commit more resources into the middle? Taylor Rapp was very good at that last year, but also we saw some deficiencies when he had to move back in the passing game and his relationship with Jalen Ramsey on a couple of big plays late. When you start asking more and more and more questions, uh, if, if you if you have one injury pretty much anywhere on this roster outside of inside linebacker where you're already dealing with the you know the 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 issues with uh, competency and talent, if you get one injury anywhere, that could be a huge issue for this defense in a way it wasn't in recent years. And so when you got that many questions, it's hard to assume that you're going to answer all of them positively. So as a transition, I'm comfortable with it because you get to ask these questions and figure it out and decide who you want to invest in long term because the Rams don't have a lot of money tied up year to year to year beyond the rookies on the on this side of the ball but you know figuring that out may be more important than figuring anything out on the offensive side of the ball except for Jared Goff 
Uh, let me ask you one more question here uh, before we wrap up. Uh, and uh, really appreciate you coming back to talk to, you know, the Turf Show Times readers and to me and everything like that. So before I ask you that final question and I'll, I'll, I'll have you say it again, can you just let uh, people know, like, how to find you and, and other Rams writers uh, moving forward? Yeah, we're all on Twitter is obviously the cesspool that we muck around in way too much. I'm uh, at 3K underscore, but I would tell people to check out uh, at BTH underscore Rams. We're setting up the site as Beyond the Horns. Um, we've got a newsletter already going called The Morning Ram. Uh, if you guys want to subscribe to that, that'd be a great help. Just shoot me a note on Twitter at 3K underscore. Newsletters pumping out more frequently now that we're getting closer to football. Uh, we recorded our first podcast recently. We'll get that up soon. We're going to have uh, a lot of video work that we're doing. Uh, sadly, it's going to be in Zoom. I know everybody's tired of Zoom and wants to get back to a pre-Zoom world. But we're going to be doing some stuff on Zoom, kind of a podcast similar with a lot of the crew. It's all guys that have been around Tertio Times over the last six, seven, eight years. So you're going to recognize a lot of the names. Um, but that's where we're going to be is Beyond the Horns. We'll get everything set up. We're going to have a lot of fun. We got a TikTok account. We got a Twitch account. I guess I'm, we're trying to hang out with cool kids these days. I don't know what we're doing, Kenny, but we're going to have fun. Uh, TikTok sounds great. I, you know, a lot of people would say that uh, the championship window is going TikTok. Uh, and... You know, because the clock's running down. Uh, no, that's good. That's good. It works. Uh, great. BTH underscore Rams. Um, the last thing that I want to ask you before we get out of here, you know, just because you mentioned the 2018 draft a few times because of the, how much it's kind of this is the season, really, in a lot of ways. 2020 would be a year where it's like, in some cases, these draft guys, these draft picks, it's like, hey, before the Rams – too talented. You couldn't play. Yeah. Now a lot of those guys are gone. We need you. Uh, yep. In the 2018 draft, do you think? And I, let me. Uh, I'll, I'll. I'm going to list out some names and talk about what happened in 2018. What I'm going to ultimately ask you is, do you think that Les Need is good at the job that he's doing? Um, yeah. First round traded away for uh, Brandon Cooks. Second round yep. had been traded away for Sammy Watkins. So the right. draft in the first two rounds because of those two receivers. Uh, third round, uh, they had made some more deals, one of which included, uh, you know, they had traded away Robert Quinn, who in the time since then has been one of the NFL's most disruptive pass rushers. Yeah. Uh, so that was not necessarily ideal for the Rams when they, you know, had such a good pick there in 2011, but then they do trade him away. And since then, uh, he's been very productive for both the Dolphins and last season, the Cowboys. And uh, then in the fourth round, you're, you know, in the third round, you're talking about Noteboom, who you mentioned. Fourth round, Brian Allen, who you had mentioned, and they got that pick from uh, in, involved at the Quinn trade. John Franklin Myers, Micah Kaiser, who may start at inside linebacker this year. Okoronku, you mentioned. John Kelly, Jamil Demby, who I think uh, I've noticed on Turf Show Times immediately is the most ridiculed player on the team. Uh, Sebastian Joseph Day, Trevon Young. Traven Howard, Justin Lawler. If the Rams don't, if, you know, you said that this could go either way uh, yeah. next season, if, if it goes the wrong way, is the 2018 draft, do you think that's going to be uh, the, the, the moment maybe that officially sunk less Snead because they had so many picks, even if that wasn't in the first two rounds, sure. they've used those picks on receivers 
that aren't around anymore. So, so what do you yeah. think of the 2018 draft? I mean, it, it certainly doesn't look good the way things stand now. I think the first thing I'd say is that there, there have been various reports, and you can just tell by the sheer amount of non-football content that the Rams have put since they've moved back, there's been significant amounts of pressure for the Rams to make sure that they were in a position to, to win some football games when they got there. They didn't want the Rams to move there and put in a multi-year stretch of deficient football, right? Um, and so I think part of what you had was when, you know, Sean McVay arrives and the team starts winning games, that you had an opportunity to sacrifice some of your capital from the medium and long term to try to beef up what you had in the short term. And it doesn't always work. But, you know, you 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 send away a second round pick for one year of Sammy Watkins. Does does having four years of a second rounder match up to what the Rams got out of Sammy Watkins in one year? Probably not. But and this is the thing. I don't know that you wouldn't have done it even in hindsight because of what happened in 2017. They fixed the offense, right? They went they went from four and 12 where uh, football outsiders ranked it, I think, the fourth worst offense of the last 30 years in the NFL, that final year under Jeff Fisher. And they turned it around in a single offseason, right? You bring in Andrew Whitworth, you bring in John Sullivan, you bring in Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and Sammy Watkins, and they turned it around immediately. So I, I, don't, I don't know that it's not worth it to do that at the cost of a second-round pick. I'm not saying Sammy Watkins was the reason that they did it. But he was part of the, what happened, right? And I don't know that you would tinker with that by going back and switching that. Similarly, you go into 2018. Now you've improved this team. You got an opportunity to compete at a really high level. You start sacrificing some draft capital. You bring in Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib and Brandon Cooks, which costs you a first. Um, you know, you, you say goodbye to Alec Ogletree and Robert Quinn, which were relatively surprising moves, even surprising internally based on how the Rams responded to it. But they had a window, right? And what happened? They went to a Super Bowl. So I, I, I don't know, even in hindsight, if, if you want to criticize them for, for and I'm not saying you, I'm saying the hypothetical you, if people, if, if there's somebody who wants to criticize them for, for sacrificing long and medium term capital to try to go for it, I understand that. But they went for it and they got there. And I don't think you can dismiss the effect that has a on the culture throughout the Rams of actually having some winning damn seasons when we went 13 years without a single winning season. I don't think you can dismiss the fact of going for it and the resounding effects that has for the culture of the team, for the fan base, and maybe more importantly for the relevancy of NFL football and the Rams throughout Los Angeles, right? It, it th think how much harder it would have been to get anybody besides us uh, hardcore Rams fans to really care about the Rams in LA if they were still going four and 12, if they were losing games, if the offense was as feckless as it was in 2016. It's, it's already been hard enough to get the Rams into the zeitgeist of LA sports. That would have made it that much harder. But I think you're right. They definitely did sacrifice some of that capital. And the 2018 draft is a good example of what that risk is. If you're going to give up your first and second round picks, you're going to be in a position where you've got to make the most out of your day two and day three guys. And when you don't do that, that's going to leave a huge gap on your team. Now, we got to see Joe Noteboom, maybe Brian Allen, and even Sebastian Joseph Day, who played a lot of football. As they get to the end of these rookie contracts, do they turn into established starters that are contributing in a way that isn't harming their side of the ball? That isn't, you know, isn't bringing back the DVOA. We talked about that on the other pod. Um, as long as they're contributing in a way where 
They, you talked about Jamil Demby. When he was out there, he was obviously harming the team's performance. If you get Brian Allen or Joseph Doboom, even if they're just average starters, they're not harming that side of the bowl. I think you can at least look at the 2018 and say, look, they sacrificed capital. They had to make something out of what they had, and maybe they did. If they don't do that, if we don't get anything out of that, then, yeah, I mean, that's the pitfall of going for it is that sometimes you shoot your shot and it lasts you one year and the effects of doing so get felt for a couple of years thereafter. But, you know, that's one of those things when you look at the guys that they've paid to stick around, whether that's Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks or whether it's Aaron Donald, Jared Goff, uh, some of the other guys that they've got these extensions out to now, those are the guys that have to make up for the gap that a, a draft like 2018 creates. When you've got a guy that you're willing to invest as much money in as they have in Jared Goff, he's got to help paper over some of those cracks on offense. When you pay a guy like Aaron Donald and you don't have the talent in the front seven, you need him to have the performances that helps paper over those deficiencies. I think that's going to be one of the big things for 2020 is if we get the season on schedule is that the pressure on this team is in the right place. It's on the guys that you've paid. It's on the coach. It's on the people that need to be able to perform at a higher level. If you're asking the offensive line or you're asking, you know, inside linebackers on this team that we don't even know who's starting to be, you know, good enough to hold up their side of the ball, that's a problem. It needs to be the bigger guys, the Jalen Ramseys, Aaron Donald, the bigger draft picks that you've invested in and now put money on the line for that are going to have to carry this team so that by the time you get to drafts that you're not in the position like 2018, they can get a little bit more out of them. Joe McEntee, thanks, man. Uh, that was great. It's uh, so good to hear your insights uh, as well, I'm sure, for many Turf Show Times readers to uh, hear them again, too. At BTH underscore Rams, Joe, uh, tell them again where to find you and uh, how to subscribe to that newsletter. Yep, at 3K underscore, at BTH underscore Rams for the team. Get at us, you're just a note. Happy to have everybody on board. Go Rams. And as always, may the San Francisco 49ers lose 16 games.